Hey guys, welcome back to Floral Couch Conversations. I'm Emily. And I'm Melissa. And it's book club, a double feature book club because we have a surprise add-on. Yes, which I am eager to discuss. For sure. I think this is one of many um, resources like this that we will be discussing um, and we'll get into it. But um, first, how's it going? You know, it's good. Just, you know, I feel like I have nothing new because it's still kind of quarantine life. <laughs> right. It's like such a, I feel like it's almost worse. It's like, and I can't remember if we talked about this, but it's almost worse like this no man's land of like, okay, things are opening up, but like, we're not sure what we're supposed to do. And like, <laughs> that makes it worse because stay at home was like, okay, I can stay at home. I can do that. But now I'm like. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Should I go to a restaurant? Should I go to a patio? Right. And they're so, like, limited open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a weird. Right. You almost have to fight to get a spot. And it's like, is that worth it? Right. Exactly. That has been my main struggle. Is It's probably not worth it. <laughs> well, I'm really full because we just... Chipotle. Oh my gosh, I ate Chipotle earlier today. Really? Yeah. It's been like a goat. I think I've eaten more Chipotle in the past like three months than I have in my whole life. <laughs> it's been like a go-to delivery meal because it comes the fastest than like anything. Right, and you can customize and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> Um, I am good-ish. Um, it's been, it's been a heavy week, I will say. Yes. Um, but I think we, we will end up talking more about that. So, um, should we just dive into our book club right now? Sure. Okay. So our May book club book was Wrong Out of the Table by Azer Salmon. Um, what did you think of it, Emily? I really liked it. It was a pretty quick read, and you can definitely tell that she's, like, has, like, some comedian in her, because she's, like, a comic writer, um, like a television writer, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so it read kind of, like, like, funny and entertaining, but she also, like, hit on some really important points and, like, gave you really interesting perspective on one that I haven't like given much thought to in in regards to like not current events but like some historical events that have even happened in our lives yeah I don't know that I've ever read a book from the perspective of an Iraqi um person that was born in Iraq and I don't know it was an interest super interesting perspective I don't know I just love hearing about other people's outlooks on the world so also didn't she say how to pronounce Iraq is it supposed to be Iraq okay I was trying to correct myself because I thought it was not supposed to be Iraq it was supposed to be Iraq but maybe is it Iraq I think it's I think it's Iraq because I remember, like, trying to say that, and it just sounds weird to us, because that's, like, not how we pronounce words well, in Minnesota. It pronounced, like, in media and stuff. Would... Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I apologize. I clearly didn't sink in. 
Um, I no, it's okay. I was just I just remember trying to say it out loud and be like, "Wow, that's weird." Yeah. Um. Have you read Trevor Noah's um, autobiography at all? I haven't, and it's on my list. I know I should read it. Um, I love Trevor Noah, though. Like, I love all of his, um, like, coverage of, like, I, I loved all his coverage of the Democratic debates and stuff because he, like, tells the story of what happens, but he always has, like, hilarious commentary. Right, like, and that's how I feel, like, I kind of related their autobiography. Like, they have completely different stories, but they mm-hmm. have a really good way. I felt like Trevor Noah and Acer both had a really good way of talk- bringing, like, levity to really um, heavy topics, which I really enjoyed. Right, it helps you get the story, but then it also kind of helps you get through it. Right, like, you don't have to take breaks because it's, like, so heavy, but you understand mm-hmm. more. Yeah, so, um, it was a lot of detail. I, like, the thing I noticed is, like, I wonder how long it took her and, like, what the writing process was like. What did you think about um, all of the footnotes? And and did you read all of them? I did, but I feel like it took me way longer than usual to, like, get through it because of, mm-hmm. I almost thought it was distracting. I thought it was unique, but I thought it was distracting. The other critique I guess I would have is, Um, I felt like it was somewhat repetitive, like, um, it would refer back to previous chapters, and then I was like, wait, what's going on? Like, I I didn't understand, like, fully follow, like, the timing of everything. Um, I don't think that, like, majorly took away from the story and enjoying, like, the whole, um, memoir as a whole, but also something I noticed. What did you think of the footnotes? Um, I have to be honest, since I did not read all the footnotes, like, after I got halfway through the book, I kind of was, like, annoyed at having to go down and, like, read the tiny print and, like, figure out what what it was talking to. And then, like, or if I read them during the page, I have to, like, keep looking down and then glancing back up at my spot. Right. Back you know? your spot again. <laughs> yeah. So, honestly, I did not. I kind of tuned them out after a while and I'm not sure if that took away from my experience, but I also would agree that the timeline was, did get a little fuzzy, especially towards the end because I was kind of like, wait, what? And then I'm like, wait, how old is your dad? Like, I don't get, I don't get the timing here. Yeah. Um, but, but I would agree it didn't take away from my enjoyment of this or like grasping of the story. Yeah. Um, in, in, uh, our, um, book club that gets together on zoom now um someone mentioned that they read the they got the kindle version of the book and the paper were oh. aligned so the footnotes were like super hard because they'd be on like the top of a different page or like, oh yeah super difficult as from like a kindle perspective mm-hmm. how, how uh would you rate it on a scale of one to five five being Great. I don't know. I find it hard to rate autobiographies because it's like, okay, am I am I rating? What am I rating here? Am I rating? Like the story is her life, so it's like, if I wrote a story about my life, it probably would be less interesting than that. Right. And um, then people like I don't know. 
so it's hard to give like a rating of the story of someone's life um but as far as like writing I would maybe say like 3.75 out of 5 <laughs> very specific what about you? Yeah, I was going to say 3.5. I um I feel like when I think about rating, it's what how, like how likely am I to recommend this? So like mm-hmm. I would definitely like recommend it, but it wouldn't be at the top of my recommendations. Okay. I like that. You think in terms of NPS score. Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> Net promoter score, it's like a business thing when people send out businesses send out surveys to that They say the most important question is um, how likely are you to recommend this to a friend? And then they like tally up the scores and do some math with it. And then like whatever the math is, is your net promoter score, which is like the most important score in business. Huh. Interesting. And in like the marketing world. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've learned something new today. Anyway, um, as far as the story of her life, I would say five out of five and like sharing her experience. Like I definitely think it's one that people need to hear. I completely agree. Yes. Did you have any other thoughts from our book club? Um, the only other thing that um was kind of discussed is how did you feel about like how <clears throat> like all of her schools like had very like young sexually active people like all the stuff she stumbled across and like oh that was so weird and I was like this I don't yeah that didn't match my experience I've like never heard of stuff like that happening so yeah and I thought it was interesting because obviously this is like her story but it was almost written as if like um like, it wasn't called out as being as extreme as, like, I felt like it was. Like, mm-hmm. I don't share that experience, but I guess it is from her perspective. That is, like, her reality. So it's just, I thought that was interesting. And we discussed that a bit about how um, none of us could really relate to that aspect of, like, really young kids and all the sexual activity going on. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe it it does. I mean, obviously it happens. I don't know. It scares me, and I I would agree. I think that it's more serious. And like, if it if that were to be happening today, I feel like her mom like going down there and like saying something about it would have resulted in like more action being taken. So true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, other than that, I don't know that anything else um, really came up. Um, I think the perspective, her perspective um, after 9-11 and just, like, how she was treated based on her appearance um, was uh, was super interesting because, again, I've never heard it told from the perspective of anyone besides the media, <laughs> in- mm-hmm. really, and so I thought that was interesting as well. Um, I did too because I I actually did a project on like Arab Mus- Arab and Muslim Americans for my um did like cultural diverse um class for my master's degree in counseling and um 
it was basically like the project was basically like presenting like how to better support the this population in the mental health community and so I like had to research like articles about like studies that have been done on how these different current events have affected this like Arab Arab American and Muslim Americans um and so there are studies done on like how that affects um the mental health of these communities and um even like the recent events like with Donald Trump and like things that he's said right things that he's done in his presidency um so it was interesting to hear like her personal perspective that is actually something that came up as well that's super interesting because um we talked about because she wrote a letter to Donald Trump and how Mm -hmm. um we like um some people in the book club as they were reading expected it to be like a lot stronger but it was like than it actually was to Donald Trump. Yeah, I think, and she did say, I think that she had toned it down a lot from the first draft. Right, yep. So it potentially could have been stronger, but but yeah, I, I definitely had that same thought. Um, but I really liked her sentiment, and this is how I have been feeling, like, ever since he freaking came into the presidency, um, is that like <laughs> this all has to be like meaning that like a, we're working towards like some sort of big change like this has to be just like some sort of crazy wake-up call and I think we're even seeing that or I don't think I know we're even seeing that now that like we need change it needs to happen like this this has to stop um and so I really like that she, like, kind of ended with that sentiment, like, change is coming. We have to believe that and hold on to that. Agreed. And keep fighting for it. Yes, yes. And that, that, that's the most important part. Agreed. Any other final thoughts before we um, move on to our bonus book? I don't think so. That was a good one. I liked it. Agreed. Highly recommend. Yes. Do you want to intro our bonus book? Yes. So speaking of fighting for change, um, I would say in light of like everything that's going on right now, but I don't, I don't think it should be in light of what's going on right now. Like it's kind of unfortunate that this is all culminating in a long overdue wake up call and like long overdue um conversations about racism um but we're going to talk about the book white fragility by robin d'angelo we both of us decided to read it um this week and there's like a lengthy discussion guide that we're gonna go through and do some of the questions um because i think we both learned a lot um both being like white women and so I don't think I need to do any disclaimers. I think we're just going to talk and we're going to be open and we're, we're trying to learn and we recognize that we're not perfect and that's why we're doing this. Yeah, completely agree. And like this is, as you said, just like it's long overdue, but in an attempt to be a better ally and recognize 
how racism it plays out in our own personal lives. Like we're t- trying to take steps to educate ourselves. So this is one of many lifelong steps. Right. And I, I think it's a pretty concrete step to commit to reading books and doing stuff like this and having these conversations and recording them. Yes. So let's dive in. I first feel like um, it's worth noting that the author is white and yes. writing to other white people specifically. Um, I think that there's a few p- points where she talks about how um, people of color can um, talk to white people, but like majority of it, majority of it is, and that's if they if someone chooses. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of it is how do white people either call themselves out or call out other white people. So I feel like that's an important note before we dive in. Right. And to that point, like, it's not people of color or black people's job to explain this to right. us. Like, it's kind of our job to educate ourselves because they've been screaming this at us, at everyone for centuries. So... I think, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Another important thing to add, just like for background sake, is that Robin D'Angelo is a sociologist and she is like a trained um, like race educator. Um, and she, like her job is to go into different organizations and like do trainings on racism. So I think that's like her qualifications to writing this book. That is a good point. Also, I guess before we dive in, have you had any specific racism training that was not like, I feel like I've had diversity training, but not specifically like call out your racism. Um, yes, I actually had a note to talk about this because um, in one of the first chapters, she points out that um, basically anyone can have like any sort of position of power without having diversity training. Like, she was like, I could run a company with and have a hundred different, like, or have, like, all these different races and people working for me and not have to go through any sort of diversity training. Yeah. Um, and so I made a note and said that, like, <laughs> that's a great point and that it should be a qualification and not just like an elective course or something like in college, you know? Right. Um, And so like I was just talking about my um, diverse counseling class, Um, that is a prerequisite. Like it's a required class um, to get your master's degree in counseling. And the point of the class is to become culturally competent, but also that like that you're never going to be culturally competent, like you're always learning. Right. It's just like growing your cultural competency. Um, and basically the point is to like deal with your own shit. Like you deal with your implicit biases. Like it's like check yourself. Um, and so, uh, and a lot of the stuff that I learned in that class is, is in this, like repeated in this book. Okay. So um, yeah, that's my answer. That's my, <laughs> and I just took that like, three months ago so it's fresh in my brain yeah no I think that um is a lot of what was said throughout 
the book is basically, yeah, check your shit, check the shit of people around you and know that it's not like a one and done, like it's forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause in the counseling world, like it's like check your shit and deal with yourself because you're going to have to be dealing with other people's stuff. And like, as a counselor, your job is to see the world from your client's eyes. And so like, you need to know what your own worldview is so that you can kind of like, um basically like see see what your client sees like and kind of like work with that yeah for sure um what about you I I've had diversity training but I don't think it was um it didn't force you to be as be uncomfortable which Mm -hmm. is the point of any good well maybe I think I've had it where it's tried but it wasn't ran effectively, I guess. Um, was it at work? Yeah, these are all workplace types. Okay. Where usually they're very surfacey diversity. And then I don't know that they've, yeah, tried to go as deep as like making you uncomfortable to confront your own racism. Yeah, I I guess what what, what is it? What do they even say? Like just... If you remember, or maybe you don't because it was, like, so... Yeah, I feel like it was kind of boilerplate, like, um, I don't even, I honestly couldn't tell you. I just remember thinking it was, like, nothing we didn't already know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I did have a, like, I went to a conference one time and we talked about age diversity, so, like, work like it was basically themed around like um working with different generations in the in the workplace and I feel like if you would have done a workshop that was like working with different races and like talking about these specific groups like like that would just never be done and like to the point of the book where it's like taboo to like bring up these subjects Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Now we can dive into the questions. So the first question we have is, how do so many white people feel so confident in their opinions on racism, even as they live their lives in segregation? I feel like she gives so many examples of things that have been ingrained into us about why like we can't be racist and I think there's so many factors like um society reinforces a lot of the what we think and that's um basically since we were born we have been taught a lot of um that basically white is right which um and then also I think the biggest thing for me that I took away is the Um, seeing yourself as an individual or good or bad versus knowing that as a collective, a white person can't be not racist, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think the other thing, too, that I took away is um, making sure, like, you're using the right definition of racism. Right. Because, like, a lot of, like, white people define themselves as not racist, but they're not using the real definition of racism. 
So I got in a Facebook argument, not argument, but someone posted something and I was like, okay, I'm trying to not be silent. Yes. And so it's uncomfortable, but I'm calling out a white person for saying something about all lives matter and pointing to a specific example of some white person being killed. And I quoted this book in my response saying, everyone is prejudiced and everyone discriminates. I'm paraphrasing. However, not everyone has the whole system and the country backing up those prejudice and discrimination. And that is what turns into racism. And then the person replied saying, well, that's racist to say white people have power over people of color or black people. And I was like, yes, that's the point. We have to acknowledge it in order to change it. And so they actually said they agree and they deleted the post that they originally put, which I thought was interesting because oh my god, I didn't think it would like I, I kind of expected it not for me to just have to like have said my piece and move on. Mm-hmm. So I was pleasantly surprised and like I like that this is like a resource because I think it's sometimes hard to like eloquently state especially like it's hard to sometimes eloquently speak out um but yeah so definition of racism is super helpful okay I think that's also a powerful example of like one like one time of you speaking out like you change someone's opinion even if you didn't think you were going to right um, and so it's like encouraging, like keep doing it because it like it works and don't like don't be afraid because who cares if it like, you know what, like you just got to you got to fight. You got to say it. Right. And it's not going to work every time. It's exactly. Uncomfortable and we just got to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, no, I totally get what you're saying about having it as a resource. And I think like just gathering more resources will only help you do or help us do that further and I've I've even been saving like things that people have posted on Instagram like how to talk to your family and like um different ways to respond to like common comments like I've saved posts on Instagram because like sometimes when something someone says something in the moment and you like freeze and you like yeah you just are like paralyzed you don't know what to respond but like if you kind of like go back and like think to these little resources then you have them in your pocket exactly and you can cite things and even like sound more eloquent and like smart and like you know what you're talking about right and I definitely yeah I like quoted the book and yeah no I think that is super helpful and that is just what I was you triggered me to think of when you said the definition of racism because I don't think that is broadly known. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too that it's easy to get emotional in the moment and kind of like emotionally react to what the person said and like how it made you feel mm-hmm. when like sometimes it's more important to stay level-headed and just be like um, no and here's why and I will not let this like get to me because I need to like hold it together so that I can like say my piece that's because it's important to say this right and that's I struggle with that totally especially with family yeah because it's frustrating when you can lay out facts and it doesn't always change someone's mind but 
like people of color don't have a choice but to keep fighting mm-hmm. so we have mm-hmm. to just like keep going because it's it's our job it is okay we we hit a lot of points in that question <laughs> I just feel like it's hard to talk about one aspect without talking about so many more because there's a lot of good stuff in the book. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. What does it mean to say that race is socially constructed? So the biggest example that comes to mind when I um, – I don't remember, like, the exact definition, but what really, like – brought it home for me was people of color or black people do not have the power to um, change it. So white people cannot come into a restaurant. They can individually refuse someone at their own restaurant, but they don't have the power to make that a law versus um, white people did have that power and they were the only ones with the power to change that. And so mm-hmm. what I go to in my mind as far as, like, that social power dynamic. What would you say? Um, I think she talked about this kind of when she was saying how um, scientifically there's no difference between white people and um, black people and people, other people of color, Um it's like it's basically like the traits like adapted based on like weather and i i've heard that before like darker skin because of like and i could totally be sounding super ignorant right now so like anyone feel free to call me out but yeah like, there there's you know, no like, like you know actual what I'm difference yeah there's no actual difference and that like back in like in history, they tried to prove that and they tried to get, like, scientists to say, like, that there is is biological difference, but, like, ultimately there is not. And so, like, yeah, the difference is right. really socially constructed. No, that's a good point. Why does the author say that white progressives cause the most daily harm to people of color? Okay, this is one that I have also- a lot to say on because <laughs> Buckland, um, because I feel like this is kind of a lot of people are bringing this up or a lot of white people are bringing this up um, because a lot of people who like call themselves white progressives are the ones who are saying, mm-hmm. I don't see color. Um, and it's, and you hear that so many times, like, from people all over and um on the on the surface it sounds good like it sounds like yeah you're progressive you're 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 good you mm-hmm. like whatever you know like it sound like and it and it could be well well-intentioned but like it's harmful because by saying that you're saying like um, that your experience is the same as people of color and 
like therefore you're discrediting their experiences as a person of color and saying like oh well your experiences must be the same as mine because there's no difference between us because I don't see color so you're saying like I don't acknowledge that your experience is different than mine and by not acknowledging that you're further perpetuating racism I felt like that was a really good point because I do feel like a lot of people wrongfully say that the think that the goal is to be colorblind and it's definitely not and I like feel like that's something I've heard Mm -hmm. like sporadically like throughout my entire life so this isn't like a new concept but so it's been out there and it's been preached and it just isn't the goal right and I don't know if I have said that personally like I I can't recall but um but I've certainly believed it because I've heard it from like people um people growing up and I thought that that was like the right thing you know um but it's obvious like it's obviously not so and I I think it also goes back to the definition of racism like if someone's saying like oh well racism is just like seeing color and like thinking that there's a difference um Right, you're not acknowledging that um, you have privilege because of the way that our country is constructed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Author traces some of the specific ways that her life has been shaped by racism. Consider your own socialization. In what specific ways has your life been shaped by racism? If you are white, try to answer this question without mentioning people of color. Okay, so one thing that I've been thinking about is... um, especially here in the Twin Cities um, and learning about like how the city was like set up and everything um, and how people talk about the different areas and different neighborhoods um, and like things that I'm guilty of saying. um, Like when you really look at it, it comes down like um, it's like it's segregated. It's segregated. Yeah, I was trying to find where I highlighted like a list of words that basically were offensive that I I hadn't used them all, but things like I know I've used the word ghetto improperly in the past. In the past, not understanding the full mm-hmm. meaning behind the word, but I need to learn it because I need to do better. And there was one other word too that I can't can't find but there was one other word where I was I like I learned it in this book like that's not okay to describe an area yeah I can't remember I don't think I I'll have to go back and look but but yeah I'm thinking about the story that she told about her friend and like the New Orleans neighborhood um and how and like or she moved to like that place in Illinois and they were like don't live in these towns and then she looked up the population um and i i think that's people like things people talk about every day and they like they don't realize that it's further like right like this is a high crime area there's the implication most commonly is that it's mm-hmm. Well, we're not supposed to use people of color in this answer, but to describe this specific example is that it's people of color without saying people of color. Right. Like there's there's so many like euphemisms mm-hmm. that that white people use um, that just disguise it. And like one of her main points of this book is that like racism is still here alive and well. Like there's 
there's no like slaves or anything but it's and like um but it's just been further and further disguised like like the ways of being racist are like more creative for lack of a better term they're just like veiled and which is like almost like I don't know I think it's it's worse and they're harder to like they're harder to reverse because they're so ingrained yeah I completely agree and I still even now after reading this like I thought it was super helpful to understand the why that I find it hard to talk about racism um, like I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm forcing myself to do it, but it doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable because it was ingrained into me that it was taboo to talk about it, which blows my mind now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like we can do better. <laughs> I can do better. Yeah. I that it's almost a culture thing too, like a Minnesota thing. And I'm not saying that like this doesn't happen in other cultures, but, like, <clears throat> we're, like, white people all over. But just, like, you don't talk about That's uncomfortable true. topics like, that's no matter the, what the weather is. joke. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Um, but, but I think a point that we're learning is that um, we have to talk about it. And even if you're, like, you don't want to talk about it, you're uncomfortable because you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. You just have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because you're going to learn and it's going to be uncomfortable because you have to, like, unlearn things you've been shoved, things that have been, like, secretly shoved down your throat, secretly and non-secretly shoved shoved down your throat for your whole life. When the author challenges the idea that we are all unique and therefore, therefore cannot be generalized about... What thoughts and feelings come up for you? How might these I thoughts and feelings function? It's interesting because, like, we're taught that everyone is special. I don't know that that's untrue, but mm-hmm. when it comes to racism, we have to take responsibility for everyone that looks like us, everyone that is white-facing. But it is hard to step back, and it. I think it kind of goes into that good-bad binary, too, because you want to say, I don't believe something bad or I'm not doing this like because you can't control every single white person mm-hmm. but you have to acknowledge that we're all part of the problem is what mm-hmm. I guess resonates for me with that question yeah there's a lot of layers to it like it's taking responsibility for people that look like you and also like realizing that you can't be complicit in like you can't just mm-hmm. say like oh well I'm not doing anything bad like that being complicit is just letting the problem happen and letting it continue um what I think of is um and this is something I learned in my class like when talking about worldviews and how there's like there's four different worldviews um and like the most dominant one in american culture is um that we that we think that we are responsible for our own actions and like like if we like work hard enough we're going to get there and like like there's no like barriers or challenges in the way um so like 
um, that's kind of like, well, the like pull your, you just pull have yourself to work up by the bootstraps have, mentality. Like, kind of ment- mentality. And that's like something that like our ancestors, like European ancestors, like that's what they believed. And so like, that's kind of like what this society has been built on. Um, but that's the case is that that's not true for everyone. Like that's not the worldview of everyone. Um, and so you have to challenge yourself and come out of that worldview to like see it from a different perspective. Like that's not true for everyone. And like, not everyone has the ability to like, just work hard and get, get wherever they want. Yeah. I feel like in this chapter, there was a lot of, um, in chapter five, there was a lot of good questions about this is the reality. Like, there are so many questions about this is something you've never had to worry about as an individual. So this is why we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, the author states that the film, the blind side is insidiously anti-black using the framework of this book. Explain how a viewer can notice the anti-black messages. yet so still be shaped I will admit by them. that I did not see the problems with the blind side. And so oh, this was like, I know, I guess eye opening and I had to reflect on like why I didn't a lot, but the, there's so many examples, but basically there's the white savior complex that, um, in order to advance, mm-hmm. um, how do you, is it Michael Orr? Was that his name? Needed a white family to come in and save him. Um, which is already mm-hmm. showing like a power dynamic. And then the way he was portrayed throughout the movie, um, yeah. he didn't speak at one point, this like little white brother, I guess, figure also spoke for him while he was sitting at the table. So they took away his voice throughout the movie. Um, and, um, like his mom did, I think was a crack addict. And there were just lots of like stereotypes that were perpetuated throughout the film. And I thought that was super interesting because I looked at it originally as like a, you know, like a, what's the word? Like an uplifting story, but is a lot of problematic messages that I didn't mm-hmm. pick up on. And I didn't understand the implications of, and I probably, it did probably did shape my, some of my views. Right. right, and in in ways that you don't notice, um, and and I think that's like the use you can point them out now, but still be right. Like, like why didn't I think it was weird that he talked so little, like, and why didn't I notice mm-hmm. that all the other white people talked so much, and it wasn't just like not really a personality trait, so. Yeah. Oh, man. And Tim McGraw's comb over. We should have known something was up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tim McGraw. I haven't, I haven't seen that movie in so long. Know. And now I'm like, okay, well, not going to watch it. The author sure. ends the a one. chapter by sharing an interaction with a man of color who, when asked that it would be what it would be like for white people to be open to feedback, replied, it would be revolutionary. She asks white readers to consider the profundity, words are hard, of this man's reply. 
what feelings did you have when you read that response? Pro- it's like profound, pro- but like oh, a different conjugation of it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we know English. Um, it's just like such a it is it is profound it's like he says that and you're like wow um like if people just dropped their egos and learned to listen it would be revolutionary simple I think that's what stuck out to me because but yet it's it's not because everyone is Mm -hmm. defensive um or the tendency is to be defensive when you're being critiqued on race on your racist behaviors I also thought I don't know what chapter she said it in but I I liked the idea that if you like you if you can't tamp down like that defensive behavior you can say something as I'm going to like think about that like without responding and being defensive and get humming up with excuses and really try to take that away so you don't have to respond on the spot because it is uncomfortable but you have to acknowledge it and then you can work on it later and examine it further instead of coming up with excuses in the moment totally and especially if it's someone who you have like she mentioned she mentions this I think when she's talking about like talking to family members or like talking to like white people talking to other white people um if it's someone that you have like a ongoing relationship it's okay to be like pause don't Mm -hmm. react this is going back to like having an emotional reaction like think because a lot of times I don't respond in the moment and then I think of something like a like a way better response and like a well thought out like succinct like this is my answer um to like something that someone said and I'll think of it like a day later and I'm like shoot like why couldn't I have said this in the moment um but it's okay to like I like the examples that she gave of like going back to that person and being like hey something that we talked about yesterday made me uncomfortable like can I bring that back up with you like can we continue that conversation um and it's just like simple things like that right you know, whether from both sides whether you are calling someone out or whether you called out it's okay to take the time to mm-hmm. process and then is but you have to come back to the conversation. Yep. And I think you'll feel better. Like you mm-hmm. always come up with something better to say later. But instead of regretting saying something ignorant or defensive, you're going to be like, okay, I can bring this up because I said nothing. I just acknowledged it and said it. So. Hmm. Yeah, and the point is to just like listen to the words and don't don't make your first reaction be defensive because like like going like we said it's going to be uncomfortable it's okay if you feel uncomfortable you just have to learn like you don't need to be defensive like like drop your ego we're all learning it's not that you're a bad person (laughs) i think that like a lot of stuff goes back to the idea that if you're racist you're bad but we're all every white person is racist so Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discuss the suggestions for continuing the work of anti-racism. 
which are the most challenging how can you meet those challenges I think a couple of things kind of stood out to me um as far as like kind of next steps I think one is that know that it's not a person of color's job to call you out but if a person of color is willing to call you out be mm-hmm. open to it and then prove that you're worthy of that feedback in your actions. And I thought that was super interesting because if someone trusts you enough to call you out, like you have to be pr- prove yourself to be worthy of that. The other thing that um, really stood out to me for next steps is just you're never done. Like she's made a quote somewhere and I couldn't find the exact quote, but um addressing your own racism is a continuum that will never be fixed in her lifetime. And that's probably true for our lifetime as well. And so like, we're never done calling people out when, and calling out ourselves for our deep seated racism. Yes. I think to take that further, even in like the context of like social Mm -hmm. media and stuff and everything that's going on right now, Um, I could call myself out for all of a sudden posting all of this stuff when like I've never really posted about it before or talked about it really. Um, like I did take my, that class and so I have like really done a lot of like internal reflecting, but I wasn't like posting about it on social media while I was like taking my class. Um, and so like, yeah, I could be, like, someone totally could call me out and say, like, hey, you you just started posting this stuff. Like, why are you just caring about this now? And I think the point is, like, yeah, it's unfortunate that, like, this, ma- like, major thing that's happening right now has, like, forced us to kind of, like, start speaking up about this. Um, but the point is, like, don't stop. Like, now that you started, don't stop. Keep it up. Like, whatever your way of talking about it is, like... Like, if you don't have to be, like, a social media rage poster. Um, but just keep it up. Keep up the conversations. Keep up the posts. Keep sharing information. Keep checking yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that resonates a lot. Um, like, I think I was probably – I was – not I was probably. I was too silent in the past. Like, it shouldn't have taken a traumatic event – to make me speak out on social media. I I think I can do a better job too at just calling it out every day if I that I see it. Um I also heard something on a mm-hmm. podcast that resonated with me recently too related to that is it was something along the lines of you just found out that you made the team and you're running you have track meets the rest of your damn life. Miles of Gray. Yes, I saw that too. I just like, it was in regards to white supremacy and like fighting it and just like you just started and posting every day on social media is fine, but don't burn yourself out because this is going to, something that needs to be fought for the rest of our lives. But I do think that's a good point. Like don't burn yourself out because we got to keep going every single day. So don't feel like you need to post a million things right now. Like, post whatever you believe and what you feel. Like, show your values. But, um, 
but also take it to your real life because that's that's where like the right. work starts and that's where you're doing the real work. Call out in conversation problematic statements and do that every day and you don't need to unless yes. you feel compelled to post to post to social media every single day. Like you just want to make sure you still have this in mind a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. So those are all the questions I think we wanted to discuss. Um, I think we are obviously works in progress and we might have said something that we are unaware is problematic throughout this and we are open to feedback. Yes, that is the key. We're open. Um, And oh, one thing I wanted to say when we were talking about feedback is um, when she told this story about how Mm -hmm. she had like a... um, a black coworker who called her out for saying something. Um, story was someone's hair. Yes. Um, and the person, I think she asked if it was offensive because like of, I don't know. I don't know if she asked, but anyway, the lady, I think, um, um, um no, the person that was offended I'm totally um, this. mentioned to her coworker, and so her coworker let her know that someone was offended by her comment. Oh, okay. Um, and so she went and addressed that person who was offended and was like, hey, can you tell me why this was offensive? Um, and if I said anything else that was offensive, um, and she told her, she said how she felt, she said why she was offended and what, like, like why it was wrong. And then she also asked, like, in the future, do you want me to call you out publicly or would you like this feedback in private? And I think it's, like, so important that um, the author, Robin, was like, um, please do it publicly because I want right, like, to be an example for other people. I agree. I yeah. I remember reading that and how she like opened up the conversation was I want to repair the racism or something along the line. Oh, yes. She said like, will you allow me to repair the racism? Yeah, I feel like and the other point that I first of all, I liked that she was able to have a conversation before that. And, like, formulate her thoughts because she said she went into that knowing that someone could say no and she has to be okay with that. And likely because um, it's no one's job Mm -hmm. to talk to white people about their racism. Um, So I thought that was, like, yeah, I I would need quite the pep talk. But, like, I just think that's really, like, awesome and I hope to be that. Um, honest with myself and open yes it kind of goes back to just check your ego we're we're all learning and but I really do I really liked all of her like calm clear examples of things to say in these different situations like I said I'm going to go back to this as a resource because there's so many good Mm -hmm. eloquent answers that I can't always like think of how to articulate on my own Mm -hmm. yeah okay well 
that's it for this discussion but we are going to add um a resource like this um on racism anti-racism um yeah in our book club episode yeah um we don't have next month's um, decided yet but we will announce it um on instagram so you can tune in if you would like um in advance you can join us in the discussion um also our next month's book club june's book club is call me by your name by andre Asiman. i might have butchered that i apologize um and it's in honor of pride month so <laughs> yes Pride so check it out thanks everybody for listening to this episode of floral couch conversations you can find us on social media instagram facebook at floral couch conversations and if you have any questions or want to reach out to us floral couch conversations at gmail.com and if you're liking what you're hearing please tell everyone you know and leave us five stars thanks everyone bye